Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanising workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. In this episode of Simply Practically Human, the human manager, Mark Labasque, talks to the president of Turner Mining Group, Keaton Turner, who at 30 years of age is building a mining company based on a desire to bring a more human approach in what is traditionally a transactional and technical industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by the president of Turner Mining Company, Mr. Keaton Turner, all the way from Bloomington, Indiana. Now, Keaton is um, about 30 years of age and has really, as he said, been playing in the dirt and with Tonka trucks and Tonka toys since he was a young fellow. And uh, two years ago, he started up his dream, which was to create a mining company with a difference in the USA. Starting with one person and now two years later with over 250, Keaton will share three of his simple tools and tips on how to humanise work, even in one of the toughest industries in the world. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hey, Keaton, great to have you on board. Hey, Mark, thanks so much. Happy to join. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and the the story of Keaton. Yeah, absolutely. 30 years old, born and raised in Bloomington, Indiana, you know, grew up, always knew I wanted to, you know, play in the dirt, so to speak. I love uh, Tonka trucks and was all the time outside. And so I, you know, I kind of thought as I got older and went through high school and, and went on to college in the United States that I wanted to get into vertical buildings and kind of leave my mark on the world with commercial buildings. My uncle owned a, a contracting, an excavating company. Uh, and so I, I went to work for him, you know, through college and then out of college full time and, you know, started to dabble a little bit in the mining world. We built soccer fields and landfills and all kinds of other sort of things. But my favorite clients were the mining clients. And so a few years ago, I started Turner Mining Group and, um, you know, it's uh, taken off from there. Fantastic. And what was it about the mining industry that attracted you so much, do you think, as opposed to the other industries that you were working with? You know, I think a couple things. One, the scale is just, you know, it's a whole different scale. You know, we're still pretty small fish in that pond. But, you know, most of the equipment we use are much bigger than what you'd see on a typical heavy highway project or landfill or anything like that. So the scale is kind of the fun thing. But really what made me kind of take the leap of faith and jump into the industry was just the huge void, uh, at least in the U.S. mining landscape, for a real professional services company. You know, there's so many talented and passionate young kids out there, 18 to call it 30 years old, who, you know, don't really know what they want to do with their life. They don't really fit with the college crowd. They don't want to be stuck at a desk. And they're not really sure how to get into operating equipment uh, or how to get into a, a position in the mining world. So, you know, I thought there was a huge white space, just a blank slate for someone to come in and bring these young folks in and really, you know, take them under your wing and train them on how to, you know, how to make an awesome life for yourself in the mining industry. I think it's fantastic that you've 
provided a, an opportunity or a vehicle and you've also sort of identified a, a key group of human beings that, that are looking for something that is more than, like I said, a, a college degree or something like that. And tell me a little bit more about your organisation. So you said it's about two years now that Turner Mining Group has been going. Talk to the listeners a little bit about that journey in the two years. What's, uh, what's it been like? Oh man, it's it's been more than anything I'd ever dreamed of. I've kind of always had entrepreneurial tendencies. Both my parents are entrepreneurs, and so you know, I always kind of had that in the back of my mind. It was never something I really thought would turn into what it has. You know, we started two years ago, you know, about 26, 27 months ago now. And uh, for the first six or seven months, knocked on every door I could. You know, I was I was 27. Uh, 28 year old kid. So knocked on every door I could, tried to sell myself as a professional mine services contractor. You know, not many people really knew what that meant. And so I went for, you know, really about six or seven, almost eight months with a lot of no's, knocked on a lot of doors, called a lot of people, quoted work really competitively. And it was just real tough to gain any traction. Finally, one day, I got somebody to bite. Uh, my first job was in Texas, a couple guys on a crew, pretty small job in the world of mining. I think it was a $250,000 job. And, you know, at the end of the job, we ended up losing $30,000. And I thought, Ooh, wow, that's a rough start. Yeah. Ended up, ended up landing a couple more jobs and got things kind of rolling, you know, about a year in landed one real big contract that kind of set us on our way. And, you know, now we're almost 250 employees and, you know, working coast to coast for the largest producers in the U S and having a whole, whole heck of a lot of fun. And what an amazing story. And, you know, you're sharing about knocking on lots of doors and, um, you know, getting lots of no's and, um, what sort of advice would you have for some of our listeners, maybe some of the younger ones that are trying to either create a startup or go with an idea or a passion that they have when they continually get knocked back? What one or two things could you share with them that you learned over that first year? Well, I think what really finally gained us all of our traction was just doing things differently. You know, so many industries out there, especially here in the U.S., you know, they're old industries and they're stale. You know, mining is the same. You know, most of the people in the mining industry uh, I think the average age, I was in a presentation the other day, the average age of a miner here in the U.S. is 52 years old. You know, so not much change has happened in the last 30, 40 years uh, in the mining in the U.S. And so we try to really showcase being different, employing young, passionate people. Our proposals that we send clients, they're t- full of tons of color and pictures. And it's almost like you get a magazine. It's not just a piece of paper with a bunch of words and numbers on it. And so. I think we started catching people's attention. Every time we got a new project, we would showcase the people that we were hiring, the the relationships that we were building with the dealers that were servicing the equipment. We've never yet paid for an advertisement and we've never yet broadcast our services. Hey, this is what we do. Hire us to do this. We focus on internal reflection. You know, who are we hiring? How are we making a difference in people's lives? And I I can tell you, we've gotten more clients just based on how we've treated our own people and our own organization than we have based on any marketing efforts. So, you know, I I would say to anyone looking to start really anything, 
figure out how to gain the attention of the people that you're selling to and being different, I think is a great way to do it. Yeah. But then you've also got to, you know, once you have their attention, you've got to really find out how to add value. It would be one thing, you know, we've got all this cool content online on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook about our people and showing the equipment in action. But, you know, when the rubber meets the road, we've got to provide value to the client. We've got to, you know, we have to be super professional. We have to be competitively priced. We have to provide a service that eliminates their headaches in a, in a safety program that, you know, can stand up with the best of them in the business. So, you know, really providing value, not just, you know, hyping your business up and then under delivering on the service side. Yeah, look, thanks for sharing that. And um, it sort of leads me into, I guess, the, the, the guts of this um, podcast around Simply Practically Human. And, you know, you've mentioned a few times here, and I, and I read your work on LinkedIn and, and on the different social platforms. And one of the things that strikes me is that your people, the human beings in your workplace, actually look like they're having fun. They, they look like they want to be there. They look like they're energised. And... Just for the listeners' sake here, I'm really curious to hear from you is, what is it about you that drives you to bring this really human element to work? Because a lot of places talk about, you know, we, we need to get the job done for the client and that's important. I sort of have a view that that happens really well when you treat your people well. So I'm interested in what's the driver for you around the way that you really treat those people so well? Well, I think, you know, it's for me, it's always been a pillar just in life. And then when, of course, when I started the business, I was like, oh, it's natural. It's got to be a pillar in, in what we do in the business. You know, life is so short. You know, I'm 30 years old. At best, my life's 30% over, probably more like 40, 40% over. So I got to have fun with what I'm doing. And I want everyone that works for us to have fun. I don't really want it to be a job. I want them to work hard because they love what they're doing and they're excited for Monday morning, not dreading Monday morning. And so, you know, we talk about it all the time. Almost all the content we put out there is about having fun and loving your coworker and loving your job. And, you know, every single day we leave money on the table. We put our folks up in really nice apartments with workout facilities and pools and we fly them all over the country. You know, I just covered the cost for one guy to go visit some family uh, that I didn't have to do, you know, it's a thousand bucks. I could have saved that and we could have spent it on a golf trip or something. But I, I understand how short life is. And I've fully recognized that someday they're going to put me in a little box and then stuff me in the ground and how much money I've made. It's really not going to matter to anybody. And, you know, really what matters is how I've impacted people. And I don't say all that to be humble. I just say it because I've finally it's taken me a while in my life to realize it, but I've finally realized that, you know, it really doesn't matter how much money you make. It's not going to make you happy. Uh, obviously, the business has got to make money. And in order to continue to grow and, and uh, service more clients and affect more people, we've, you know, we've got to show some profitability. But, you know, we don't put profitability or production above our employees' happiness. Now, we don't make everybody happy. I don't want to make it sound like it's all rainbows and unicorns. There's <laughs> people sometimes that we just can't make happy. But, you know, one of our main focuses, are, you know, as, as an organization, we want our employees to be happy because we know they're going to work harder. They're going to work longer. They're going to work more safe. They're going to work more diligently if they're happy versus trying to force them to 
do all those things. Yeah, look, um, thanks for sharing that. Look, those stories about, you know, the simple things that I heard there around booking the right hotels, they've got workout facilities, flying them to places, and even that story with um, with one of your employees, you know, sending them off to see their family. I think they're some of the things that many organisations overlook, but they create that um, environment where you talked about the people have fun and they do more. I think it helps you to get that discretionary effort happening. So I and these, these are really important lessons for our listeners to take on board. Well, and one of the most things, Mark, to make somebody happy that I've realized, and I didn't even, I just kind of stumbled across this accidentally. When we put out a picture of one of our employees on Instagram, we got 30,000 or so followers and Facebook and LinkedIn. You know, when we put an employee on there and we talk about how awesome it is that they left home and left their friends and family and took a job with a new company and they're killing it making great money, traveling the country, loving what they do. And it's a picture of them in a you know million dollar machine and they're smiling. There's nothing that's going to make that employee happier. I don't care if it's a paycheck, a free trip somewhere. There is nothing that makes that employee happier than the company they work for recognizing them. And it costs us zero dollars. It's a simple picture. It's a few sentences about how much we appreciate them. And we try to do that for as many employees as we can. And, uh, you know, that is a huge culture boost for us when we can showcase our people and make them the hero of the story. Yeah, look, I, um, I, I'm just thinking now as you're speaking, I was watching one of the videos. I think there was three or four of you employees on scooters. And it was funny. It was, it was, I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, these people are actually having fun. They're enjoying their work. They're actually enjoying being connected to each other. You know, it's an interesting thing in an industry that's, I guess, a traditional long-term industry that's seen to be a little bit more technical and mechanical as such. It's just a very human place is, is the feel I get. Yeah. And that, I think that's one of the crucial parts about what we do. I mean, everyone focuses on the machines. You know, the dealers are trained to sell machines. The people want to see the trucks and the excavators. But when you can really connect the person behind uh, what's really happening on site, you know, when you can showcase the person's personality and even on the bad days. I mean, I've told our marketing guy that collects all these cool pictures and videos. I'm like, I want to show some bad days. I want to show someone getting upset about something, you know, because it's so important for us and for me to be real with everybody. I think people just relate more to real. You know, everyone sees these marketing campaigns that these big companies put out where the guy is in a brand new, perfectly clean safety vest and a brand new white hard hat with no scuffs on it. And most people just, you know, that's not real. That's staged. It's, you know, they're doing it for the camera. I want everyone to realize when our folks are on camera or, you know, get a picture or whatever, like this is real stuff happening on a real site that someone's interrupting their day to take their picture. It's nothing staged and nothing phony about it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I love it. And I think the whole idea of as... Um, human beings, as I say, have we have good BS detectors, and um, you know if, you, if you're seeing the guy in the fancy car and with the tuxedo on, and he's made it, and or she's made it, and whatnot, that's not real. And I, I really like the idea that you show the good days as well as some of the bad days, because that's what really happens in in your workplace. Interestingly, the sort of premise around this podcast is to speak to people like yourself who are doing things differently catching attention and disrupting industries. I'm interested if you could share just three things, three simple and practical tips that you could give to my listeners um, that will help them in 
in their quest to create what I call a human workplace? Just three simple things that you do, simple and practical. Uh, I, well, I think one is always, and the, and the reason I say this one first, because it just happened in our office, always focus on assigning tasks to someone that they enjoy. If yep. you force tasks on people that they don't enjoy, you're rarely going to get the results you want. We've got a super smart young mining engineer who's passionate. We've had him in the office for the last month trying to get some paperwork stuff done and a, and a project. And it's been frustrating him to death. And we haven't gotten the results out of him because it's just we're, it's like trying to push a rope uphill. Yeah. We're trying to get something out of him that he's not passionate about. When as soon as we send him on site to go make some change and drive action, it's crazy to see how quickly he flourishes. So I would say a super easy one is just try to get, and it's not always going to work out that way, but try to get people doing tasks that they really enjoy doing. Another one is giving recognition. Yeah. I am the first one to tell you that we've got an office full of about 20 people. And I can just about assure you, I've got the lowest IQ of all 20. <laughs> we've got an awesome team. I've been very fortunate to hire some of the smartest people I know, and I give them all the credit in the world. And they love to see the top guys. And we got a COO that's awesome, Harvard MBA grad. Uh, and he's the same way. He gives everyone else the credit and the recognition. And when, when the top people in the company are willing to give all the credit to the folks that are grinding every day to help build the company, and they don't have any equity, they don't have any ownership. It makes them feel like a million bucks. It makes them feel like one of the owners. So I think that one's huge. And I go back to the, the really the pillar of why I'm doing this. And that's just to have fun. Yeah. If you can get your folks, like you brought, you brought up the scooters. Those guys, they got on some scooters. They're one of our safety guys, an executive admin. And I can't remember who all else was involved. And I took the scooters to lunch. They do it all the time. You know, breaks up the day. You know, a lot of folks think, well, you know, you're supposed to work 10 hours a day, head down, grinding away, fingers to the bone, you know, have fun. Life is so short and it can end at any moment. You know, I want people to really enjoy coming to work. And if you're a slave driver, you're not going to get the same results as if you're someone that promotes fun. Because I can tell you, we've gotten some amazing results and it's not because we're slave drivers. Yeah. We're actually the opposite. We're big advocators for fun and you know, we love to get a beer on Friday afternoons and enjoy the week. And so uh, those would probably be my three. I love it. And look, again, I, I talk about this being simple and practical, like enjoyment, allowing people to do work they enjoy, giving recognition and credit where it's due. And that last one I, I really um, love is having fun and, you know, simple things that sometimes in the workplace we humans sort of walk past those things in, the, I guess, in the pursuit of more complex business plans and, and whatever it might be. So just your thoughts for a moment, if you wouldn't mind, why is it that we tend to, not, not in your organisation, but in many organisations, we, we step away from the simple things and we chase the complex things? What, what do you think it is that's driving humans to chase complexity more than simplicity? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of folks and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well sometimes. A lot of folks, they, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. You know, they're so involved in the business uh, and not on the business that it's hard to pull back and look at a 30,000-foot view of really what's going on. Sometimes the, the, the simplest fix is right in front of you, but you're, you're down in the weeds looking for some crazy solution. 
I wish that I could always remember to pull myself out when it gets that way. Sometimes it's just stepping away for a couple of days or really shutting everything off all weekend and not kind of working through the weekends. But it's a super common problem. There's so much information fed to us every single day through our smartphones and our laptops. And there's so many KPIs that we can look at, you know, who's doing what today and where, where are these people working and are they hitting these loads and are, are these efficiencies being met? You know, sometimes it's just a simple call to the guy that's running the project and saying, hey, let's talk about things. What's going on? I want to hear what stresses and what headaches you have. And just by listening to them talk for a few minutes, they get it off their chest. They're like, wow, I feel a whole lot better. I'm ready to go tackle. And, and that person the whole time knew the solutions to his problems. He just needed to talk through it and needed to talk to somebody about it yeah. uh, and feel reassured. I love it. Just to, to, again, that having that conversation. Keaton, I feel like I've got to ask you this question because you talked earlier about those young people who are, they're not going through college and they're trying to work out what they want to do with their careers. There's a bit of a crazy thing going on in the world at the moment about millennials and there's this whole stuff about as managers, we need to manage people of different ages in different ways. Now, I'd really, really love your thoughts on this whole idea that you know, if you're 25, we should manage you differently to if you're 55. What, what, what's your thoughts around that? Well, I mean, absolutely. It's just a simple fact that if you're a 50-year-old male that was brought up in this industry, or really any industry, you were raised differently more than likely than a 20-year-old male that's just now entering his career these days. I use the term millennial snowflake, and I use it kind of lightly because I'm a millennial. But, you know, a lot of millennials get a bad rap for not wanting to work and being lazy and, you know, being entitled and wanting things handed to them. And some of it's true. Some of it's right. But I think of millennials as people that are super passionate, people that want fast results. They want to feel responsibility early on, right away. I think one of the reasons why we've been able to lock in some awesome talent in our very young startup company is because people can jump in and make an impact right away. Whereas a big organization, you know, that's been around for a hundred years and has offices all over the world, uh, it's hard to jump in and really drive change and feel responsible for, you know, helping drive change. So I absolutely think there's a big difference in the way we treat 50-year-old males and 20-year-old males and 20-year-old females. I mean, it's just there are so many different factors. And you could spend the whole podcast talking about the differences and how we've learned to do it. Some things we're still learning, some things we're great at and not so great at. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest challenges, not only that the U.S. faces, but that the world faces, and how do these 50-year-olds who are running these large companies, how are they going to adapt to employing these 20-year-olds? Yeah. You can't treat them the way that you were treated when you were coming through the business. So we've really, that's been at the forefront of how we've, you know, we have a guy, Albert, he's a, he's a 60 year old East Kentucky coal miner, rough and tough guy. We used to send him five or six young guys at a time on a crew, you know, 20 to 25 year old guys. And he'd fire the whole crew. I can't work with these kids. They're lazy. They don't want to, they don't want to do anything. And then eventually he started to come around and I, and we worked, we worked with them to show him that these kids just need, instead of yelling and screaming and cussing, 
to try to motivate them to get and do something. Give them some responsibility. Teach them why you're doing something, not just tell them to do it. Yeah. If they know the why behind the task, you know, they'll feel some ownership. They'll want to take it on and they'll want to excel and do better. And you know, now Albert's one of our best teachers and he's got several crews full of young guys and he's killing it. That's fantastic to hear. And to go back to your simple things, him understanding that um, these young people want to enjoy their work. They want to get some recognition and they want to have fun once you understand those things. And I think that's the same for 25-year-olds and 55-year-olds. We all, we, we like to be recognised. We like to enjoy stuff and we like to have fun. So I, I think that's a great story. Just to finish up then, how can we find out more about Turner Mining? If people want to know a little bit more or they want to follow you on um on the social platforms and, and get some ideas for an organization that I follow now and I say is at the cutting edge of really humanizing work. Where can we find, where can they find you? Well, uh, across all social media platforms. I mean, we're pretty active on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, obviously. We're posting every day, but we're also pretty proud of our website. If you're still uh, into using the old fashioned computer, termining.com. Yep. We're interacting with folks. You know, obviously, Mark, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't get to interact with folks all over the world and some pretty cool stuff. And it's all thanks to platforms like Instagram and, uh, and LinkedIn. Fantastic. Keaton, thank you for joining me on uh, the Simply Practically Human podcast. I think you've um, shared some amazing insights in into what you've created in two years and also a little bit about your backstory that I think will allow the listeners to understand how you've been able to set up the business that you have. So thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Hey, it's Mark here again. Thanks for joining us for episode three of the Simply Practically Human podcast. Keaton Turner was amazing and I'm sure you would have learned some incredible things to use back in the workplace to humanize the way you approach the work that you're doing. If you like this, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, why don't you subscribe to it? And listen now for episode number four, where I'll be speaking to the incredible Jessica Dubois from the BBG Benefits Group. Jessica had me in DC earlier this year speaking about humanizing workplaces, and I can't wait to get her take on how she's doing amazing work in humanizing the benefits industry. But until then, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.